Bruce Waltke's interpretation of the book of Genesis emphasizes the central motif of God's sovereign election of a special seed, a lineage beginning with Abraham and continuing through Isaac and Jacob, entrusted with the mission to bless all nations and further God's kingdom on earth. Genesis is structured around genealogical sections known as Toledot, which delineate family histories that are crucial to understanding God's unfolding covenantal relationship with humanity. The narrative begins with the creation, portraying God as bringing order from chaos and forming humans in his own image, tasked with stewarding this harmonious world. However, this order is disrupted when Adam and Eve succumb to temptation and introduce sin into creation, bringing chaos, shame and separation between humanity and the divine. Despite this fall, God pronounces future redemption through a promised seed of Eve, who will ultimately defeat the serpent, albeit at personal cost, foreshadowing the perpetual struggle between good and evil. The ensuing chapters of Genesis reveal the tension between obedient faith and sinful rebellion, illustrated by Abel's acceptable sacrifice and Cain's subpar offering. Cain's murder of Abel, driven by envy and wrath, causes the spread of sin, which grows progressively in Cain's lineage. Yet God responds by preserving righteousness through Seth and subsequently through Noah, whose family represents a microcosm of God's redemptive purpose amidst a world succumbing to sin's pervasive influence. Despite Noah's faithfulness, human sinfulness is again exposed in the ambitious construction of the Tower of Babel and subsequent scattering of nations. Central to the narrative is God's election of Abraham, with whom he enters into a covenant, promising descendants who will inherit the Holy Land. This covenantal relationship is iteratively refined, passing through Abraham's son Isaac and grandson Jacob, while Ishmael and Esau establish significant but non-covenantal national lineages. Genesis concludes with Jacob's descendants in Egypt, poised for Exodus, the next phase of God's salvation history. Throughout, Waltke accentuates that the narrative of Genesis is part of a larger redemptive storyline that connects deeply with Christian faith by affirming God's enduring love and comfort for his people, in stark contrast to any deity of abstract concepts or impersonal forces. This God is intimately involved in human history, guiding and preserving his chosen ones as they navigate a world marred by sin, yet hopeful for the promised restoration. Moreover, Voltke delves into the theological and narrative continuity between the primeval history, Genesis 1:11, and the patriarchal narratives, Genesis 12:50, within the biblical canon. He presents the argument that these two sections, while distinct in their scope and focus, together lay out the problem of human sin and God's unfolding plan for redemption, using the figures of Adam and Abraham to contrast the themes of disobedience and faithfulness. The story of Adam, which resides in the primeval history, acts as a symbol of humanity's collective failure, with his disobedience leading to a universal curse, pain and mortality. This narrative sets the stage for the subsequent need for redemption. Genesis 12 marks a thematic shift to a more narrow lineage through the figure of Abraham. Unlike Adam, Abraham's narrative is marked by obedience and trust in God's promises, initiating a legacy of blessing rather than curse, a potential new beginning for humanity. As Waltke affirms, the call of Abraham is presented as a pivotal moment in biblical history, 
a kairos or opportune time, where God promises to make from Abraham a great nation that will ultimately serve as a conduit of blessing for all the families of the earth. This promise encompasses both Abraham's descendants, the chosen seed, and the promised land they are to inhabit. While this chapter of reflection focuses on the chosen seed, the importance of the chosen land is reserved for further discussion within the framework of the book of Joshua. The covenant made with Abraham stands as an unconditional initiative from God to establish a relationship with a chosen people, one that will reverberate throughout the Pentateuch and the rest of Scripture. The concentric structure of Abraham's call and God's covenant with him is thus formative not just for Genesis, but for the entire Bible, suggesting that the narratives of Genesis 12.50 are a continuation and response to the challenges presented in Genesis 1.11. The shift from the universal to the particular and the focus on one family's journey lays a foundation for the rest of the biblical message centred on redemption, covenant and the hope for all nations. Furthermore, Waltke outlines an intricate parallelism within the book of Genesis, focusing on two key motifs that assert much of its narrative, creation and recreation, and the interplay of sin's proliferation with the extension of divine grace. He presents a structured comparison between pre-flood, antediluvian, and post-flood, post-diluvian events, revealing a carefully crafted storytelling technique that uses symmetry to illustrate theological truths. In the antediluvian section, Voltke identifies an orderly creation that rises from chaotic waters, accompanied by God's blessing. However, this is soon followed by the entrance of human sin, depicted through the narrative's engagement with themes of nakedness, vision and concealment, ending in a divine curse. This initial sin leads to a division of humanity into two distinct groups, the elect, whom God has chosen, and the non-elect, those who are not part of the divine choosing. From this point, a genealogical focus illustrates the consequences of sin and godliness. Abel has no offspring due to Cain's murderous act, while Cain's lineage builds cities, and Seth's line concludes with Noah, signifying a trajectory from sin to restoration across ten generations. Correspondingly, the post-Diluvian narrative mirrors this pattern. The recreation after the flood is also founded in chaotic waters and bears God's blessing. Yet sin reappears in a scene that also involves nakedness and covering, followed by a curse. Humanity is again split between elect and non-elect. This time, the descendants of Japheth are portrayed as the righteous younger generation, as opposed to Ham's lineage, which continues the tradition of city-building and sin. Shem's line, like Seth's, extends to a tenth generation culminating with Terah. Then, humanity's collective downfall is depicted via the Tower of Babel, resulting in an unlawful union. Waltke highlights that both narratives transition into a new phase with the introduction of a faithful saviour, Noah in the Antediluvian and Abraham in the Post-Diluvian. Noah stands as the righteous deliverer through whom creation is preserved against the surge of human sinfulness. Subsequently, when human rebellion re-escalates, God intervenes through Abraham, who becomes the progenitor of a nation chosen for divine purpose. Through these figures, the primeval history of Genesis demonstrates a pattern. Corrupt humanity is met with divine salvation through an elect seed, 
a theme that anticipates the cycles of downfall and redemption found in the patriarchal narratives. This structure conveys an enduring message about God's grace persisting despite human failure. In addition, within the primeval narratives of Genesis 1, 11, Voltke elucidates the thematic parallels between human transgression and the resilience of divine benevolence. This portion of scripture encapsulates four pivotal accounts, beginning with Adam and Eve and progressing through the tales of Cain and Abel, Noah's voyage amidst the flood, and culminating at the Tower of Babel. Interwoven between these narratives are genealogies that not only serve to demarcate the episodes, but also to indicate a palpable rhythm of sin, followed by grace in an interlocking pattern that defines the ancient text. Each story unfolds in a similarly structured manner, initiating with an established divine ordinance that guides human behaviour. Inevitably, humans fail to adhere to these decrees, exerting their autonomy in acts of rebellion against the prescribed order. Such deviations summon divine judgments, unyielding decrees that intend to confront and counteract the burgeoning chaos instigated by human disobedience. Yet, it is in the wake of judgment that the motif of mitigation becomes apparent, an unflinching testament to the enduring mercy embedded within the heart of the divine. In the narrative of Adam and Eve, the rule manifests in the form of a singular tree, a testament to God's sovereignty and their rebellion through consumption of its forbidden fruit. Judgment arrives as the eventual consequence of mortality, yet the mitigation of this curse unfolds through the promised seed a veiled prophecy heralding salvation. With Cain and Abel, it is the imperceptible rule of moral rectitude that Cain defies, and though his judgment renders him a wandering nomad, a protective mark spares him from retaliatory violence. The story of Noah depicts a world ensnared by malice, eliciting a cataclysmic deluge as judgment, but extended grace through the ark's preservation of life. Lastly, Babel reveals human pride in their architectural endeavour defying God's command to disperse, with judgment fragmenting their unity through linguistic diversity. In this final narrative, a notable shift occurs. The mitigation is not immediate, but rather, it unfolds epically through the election of Abraham, whose progeny is destined to reunite the fragmented nations. Through these primordial accounts, Waltke's analysis maintains an inexorable pattern. The proliferation of human sin consistently met with a divine responsiveness that tempers justice with mercy. Even as chaos emerges from man's rebellion, God's grace persists, weaving a promise of restoration and hope that transcends the primeval and forecasts the Abrahamic covenant's implications for all humanity. Further, in his discourse on the biblical narrative of Adam and Eve, Waltke carefully dissects the archetypal story by presenting a thematic breakdown of their journey from divine rule through rebellion, to judgment, and culminating in the anticipation of mitigation through a promised seed. At the outset, Voltke points out that God's dominion over the paradise of Eden is marked by a benevolent sovereignty. He provided for all of man's needs, including companionship, by creating Eve as Adam's bride. This divine ruler presented a simple yet profound command to the first humans to acknowledge their position as creatures and refrain from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which served as a symbol of their acceptance of God's ultimate authority over good and evil. 
This harmonious existence, however, did not last as Adam and Eve were enticed by Satan's deception and their own desire for autonomy, leading to their act of rebellion against God's sole commandment. By partaking of the forbidden fruit, they did not merely disobey, they usurped the divine sovereignty, seeking to become their own arbiters of morality. This defiant act set the stage for a deep shift in their existence. The judgment that follows their rebellion is severe and pervasive, affecting the very core of their spiritual being. Adam and Eve are depicted as suddenly aware of their nakedness and vulnerability, resorting to the creation of primitive garments and retreating into hiding from God. A vivid portrayal of their spiritual death and the dissolution of the intimacy they once enjoyed with their Creator. The ramifications of their actions translate into a life cursed with toil and suffering. Eve is condemned to endure pain in childbirth. Adam is doomed to labour ceaselessly for sustenance and both face the inevitability of physical death. Yet, Waltke draws our attention to a faint ray of hope amidst the starkness of judgment, a redemptive thread laced within the curse. The promise of the seed of the woman introduces a future offspring who harbours the potential to right the wrongs committed by the first couple, to conquer the influence of Satan, and to offer humanity a path back to eternal life. This seed, as prophesied, holds the key to rectifying the failings of Adam by providing a means to reclaim the life that was lost through their disobedience, representing the enduring hope for salvation and restoration. Besides, Voltke's analysis of the Cain and Abel narrative dives into themes of divine rule, rebellion, judgment, and mitigation. He interprets the biblical account as a reflection of God's implicit expectation of righteousness, as shown when God questions Cain, implying that a right action, aligned with an innate moral conscience, would bring acceptance. This implies a baseline of divine authority and human awareness of moral standards necessary for a right relationship with God. Cain's insincere offering, giving only some of the fruit rather than the best, juxtaposes with Abel's exemplary sacrifice of the firstborn of his flock. Waltke views Cain's act not merely as inadequate, but as a cynical attempt to manipulate divine favour without true spiritual devotion, marking a subtler yet more sinister form of rebellion compared to the direct disobedience of Adam and Eve. Cain's spiritual failure manifesting at the altar, precipitates his ethical collapse, culminating in the murder of Abel, representing a complete moral breakdown and refusal to acknowledge his brother's worth. God's judgment is swift and severe, exiling Cain from the lushness of arable land to a life of restlessness, symbolically displaying the consequences of sin as alienation from God, the land, and human community. Cain's lament of his punishment as too harsh reveals his self-centred nature, as he perceives himself as the victim rather than expressing penitence, illustrating how sin warps the conscience and fosters separation. Despite the severity of Cain's actions, God exhibits grace by marking him to prevent his death at the hands of others, ensuring Cain lives a full life in his state of alienation. Interestingly, Waltke notes that the origins of civilization, including arts and sciences, trace back to the city built by Cain. These cultural developments, with the potential to glorify God, arise from a founder who eschewed authentic spirituality and lacked love for his kin. 
Over time, such cultural elements can express humanity's internal struggle with sin, evidenced by Lamesh's degeneration into polygamy and revenge, demonstrating the complex legacy of humanity's creative achievements amidst their propensity for moral rebellion. Additionally, Waltke's analysis of the story of Noah and the Flood in the Bible focuses on three pivotal themes – divine rule, human rebellion, and divine judgment accompanied by mitigation. Noah is portrayed as the archetype of righteousness within his morally depraved era. He stands out not only for his intuitive moral compass, which others possess as well, but also for his direct communication with the divine. This special revelation is evidenced in his understanding of the distinction between clean and unclean animals, a concept that foreshadows the dietary laws that will later be established in the Mosaic law. Noah's prophetic preaching offers guidance to his contemporaries, but the text suggests that he is a solitary figure of virtue in comparison to the widespread corruption around him. Human rebellion during Noah's time is described as a collective failing exceeding even the violent and rebellious acts of individuals like Cain. Society is dominated by tyrants who engage in practices like establishing royal harems, reflecting systemic and pervasive sinfulness. The debasement is so extensive that it taints every aspect of human thought and action, leading to a complete moral collapse. The line of Seth, which once represented a beacon of hope, is not exempt from this corruption, and is extinguished in the flood, with only Noah's immediate family enduring. The divine judgment is presented as a flood that both embodies God's response to human sin and serves to abolish the widespread iniquity of Noah's world. Although it wipes out almost all life, mitigation is embedded within this judgment as Noah's ark, constructed according to God's instructions, survives the deluge. The ark symbolizes both God's mercy and the continuation of his creation plan. It carries the seeds of a new humanity and the possibility of redemption, a hope that humanity survives within the safety and confinement of this divine sanctuary, even as the old world is destroyed beneath the waves. Through the story of the flood, Waltke draws attention to the themes of divine sovereignty, human responsibility, and the possibility of grace amid judgment. Also, in Voltke's analysis of the Tower of Babel story, he presents a comprehensive view that encompasses divine command and human response, juxtaposed with themes from ancient Near Eastern texts. He reiterates that while other civilizations considered overpopulation a threat that necessitated control through catastrophic events like floods, the biblical view is starkly different. The Bible views life as an intrinsic good, irrespective of density. Consequently, rather than suppressing population growth, God instructs humans to multiply and occupy the earth. Yet humanity chooses to rebel against this divine order. Rather than dispersing, they congregate to establish a monolithic society centred around the Tower of Babel, a symbol of their self-reliance and aspiration to create a utopia independent of God. They leverage their shared language as a tool for unity, effectively challenging God's sovereignty. Waltke compares this ancient act of rebellion to contemporary efforts, particularly the United Nations building, which he sees as a modern counterpart in humanity's ongoing attempt to forge global peace without acknowledging the divine prince of peace. Science and mathematics now serve as the lingua franca, enabling unprecedented progress and ambition, 
manifesting in space exploration and exploitation. These ventures, Voltke contends, represent the modern echo of Babel's impulse as humanity strives to reach beyond its earthly bounds. In response, God intervenes, confounding human language, which fractures the previously united human effort and disperses populations into nations. This divine act of judgment thereby inhibits humanity's rebellious potential, but also inadvertently sets the stage for conflict on a scale unseen in the singular judgment of the flood, repeated by the extensive casualties in World War II and the looming threat of nuclear warfare. Amidst this narrative of human hubris and divine judgment lies the motif of mitigation through grace. Waltke points to God's call to Abraham as a redemptive gesture. Abraham is chosen to be a beacon of blessings, through faith, to all nations. Through Abraham, God provides a pathway to overcome the division caused by Babel, inviting a fractured humanity back into a relationship defined by blessing and unity. Moreover, in his analysis of the structure of Genesis chapters 12 through 50, Voltke observes a distinct pattern within the text that differs from the earlier primeval history. These scriptures present three patriarchal narratives, with their organising principles being concentric structures, each punctuated by genealogies. These genealogical lists serve a dual purpose. They underline the separation between the chosen lineage and those that are deemed non-elect, namely the descendants of Ishmael, Abraham's son, and Esau, Jacob's son. At the centre of Waltke's exposition is the Abraham cycle, Genesis 11, 27, 22, 24, which showcases a sophisticated, symmetric arrangement. This narrative begins with the genealogy of Terah, Abraham's father, essentially setting the stage for Abraham's story while also underscoring Sarah's barrenness, a point critical to the narrative since it amplifies the miraculous nature of God's promises. The text unfolds in a series of acts that correspond and contrast with one another, concentrating on God's covenantal promises regarding land and progeny. Act 1 revolves around the theme of the promised land. It recounts Abraham's migration by faith and God's covenant that confirms the land of Canaan as his inheritance. Act 2 focuses on the seed promise, Abraham's initiative to father a child through Hagar, leading to Ishmael's birth, the divine intervention resulting in the birth of Isaac, and the poignant scenario in which God tests Abraham's faith by commanding him to sacrifice his son Isaac. The third act serves as a transitional chapter, heralding the end of Abraham and Sarah and the continuation of their lineage through Isaac and Rebekah, parents to Jacob. This section bridges the narrative toward the genealogies of Ishmael and Isaac and flows seamlessly into the stories that follow. Throughout the Abraham saga, recurring events such as Abraham's deceptive actions and subsequent divine protection thread the episodes together. This culminates in the triumph of faith with the birth of Isaac and the watershed moment atop Mount Moriah. Abraham's spiritual odyssey is capped by a closing genealogy indicating a narrative shift towards the next generation of patriarchs, Isaac and his son Jacob who will command the central role in the unfolding biblical story. Furthermore, Voltke examines the narrative of Abraham in the book of Genesis through the lens of a dramatic structure, constituting act one of a larger story. This act is composed of five distinct scenes, 
that collectively narrate the unfolding of God's promise of the sworn land Canaan to Abraham and his descendants. Alongside the primary theme of the land promise, a submotif of a promised seed or offspring weaves through the narrative, emphasizing the intertwined destiny of Abraham's progeny and the land itself. Scene 1, Genesis 12, 1 9, opens with Abraham's obedient departure from his homeland to an unseen, promised territory then inhabited by the Canaanites. Demonstrating trust in God's promise, Abraham builds altars at Shechem and Ai, acts that symbolize his claim over this land on behalf of Yahweh. In the second scene, Abraham is confronted with a famine that tests his faith, referencing Genesis 12.10.20. Seeking provision, he migrates to Egypt, a decision driven by doubt in God's provision. This decision puts Abraham and his wife, Sarah, at risk. However, God intervenes, preventing the potential loss of life and compromise of Sarah's purity. The narrative progresses to the third scene, Genesis 13, where Abraham's faith is evident as he offers his nephew Lot the choice of land to maintain familial peace. Lot selects the visually appealing land of Sodom, leaving Canaan, the land assigned by faith, to Abraham. The fourth scene depicts Abraham's valiant rescue of Lot and Sodom from four invading kings, solidifying his status as a favoured and protected servant of God, Genesis 14. In the climactic fifth scene, God enters into an irrevocable, unconditional covenant with Abraham, delineating the boundaries of Canaan through the territories of ten existing nations and assuring its inheritance to Abraham's descendants, Genesis 15. In addition, this scene serves as a pivotal transition to the subsequent act, reintroducing the theme of the seed, Abraham's physical descendants, as an essential component of the covenant. Genesis consistently pairs the promise of the land with the promise of progeny, except in rare instances like Genesis 13, 17 and 15, 7, where the land promise stands alone. Thus, the story of Abraham in Act 1 establishes the foundational elements of the promise that will shape the narrative of his lineage and their divinely ordained inheritance. Further, in Act 2 of Waltke's analysis, the narrative shifts from the theme of land inheritance to the pressing issue of progeny, as introduced in Genesis 16. 1. Where Sarai's inability to bear children poses a serious challenge to God's promise of making a great nation from Abram's lineage. This act is a complex interplay between human attempts to fulfil divine promises and God's reaffirmation of his covenant through unexpected means. The first scene deals with Abraham and Sarah's, then Abram and Sarai, endeavour to secure an heir through Sarah's servant, Hagar, leading to the birth of Ishmael. This act of human intervention, not aligned with God's original plan, generates enduring domestic conflict, foreshadowing historical tensions. God's response to the couple's struggle is central to scene two. He introduces a covenant with Abraham, promising to multiply his descendants and that kings shall arise from them. The sign of this covenant, circumcision, is more than a physical mark. It represents a call to faithfulness and trust in God's promise. The third scene features pivotal divine visitors who announce that Sarah will birth the promised child, Isaac, not Ishmael, who Abraham also circumcised. The narrative continues with Abraham interceding on behalf of Sodom, where his nephew Lot resides. Despite his prayers, scene four, Sodom is judged and destroyed, 
leading to Lot's morally ambiguous and desperate act with his daughters, scene five, resulting in the origins of Moab and Ammon. The disgraceful beginnings of these nations accentuate the purity of Isaac's birth by comparison. Once again, we encounter a story of Sarah endangered in a foreign king's palace, scene six. As in Egypt previously, God intervenes with plagues to protect her and preserve the sanctity of his covenant's fruition. The narrative culminates with the birth of Isaac, scene seven, a triumphant reversal of Sarai's barrenness. But rejoicing is short-lived as Abraham is faced with the harrowing command to sacrifice Isaac, scene eight, a divine trial that tests the limits of faith and obedience, juxtaposing Abraham and Sarah's earlier self-reliant actions with their ultimate submission to God's will. Besides, in his examination of the Jacob cycle, Genesis 25, 1935, 22, Waltke identifies a detailed concentric, chiastic structure that reveals the literary artistry of the biblical narrative, affirming the unbreakable bond between the themes of progeny, seed, and inheritance, land. At the widest points of the structure, sections A and A, we see the narrative framing the story with similar themes of childbearing. The beginning asserts the struggle of Rebecca during childbirth and the birth of Jacob amidst a prophetic oracle. The ending mirrors this with the fulfillment of that oracle, marked by another key childbirth event, which is the birth of Benjamin and the establishment of Jacob as Israel. This chiastic approach ties the beginning and the end together, pointing to the overarching theme of God's promises being realised. Moving one layer inward, the B&B interludes spotlight the experiences of Rebecca and Dinah with foreign powers. These episodes focus not just on personal interactions, but also on broader social and family dynamics, fertility and protection. They highlight the complexity of living within foreign territories while maintaining identity and promise-related integrity. The next layer, C and C, centres on Jacob's physical and emotional journey. Initially, Jacob flees from his homeland out of fear of his brother Esau and later returns to reconcile with him. This movement away from and back to the promised land symbolises the ongoing relationship of the chosen family with their divine inheritance. At the heart of the structure, D&D sections describe powerful encounters with heavenly beings, bookends that mark critical spiritual milestones in Jacob's life. First is the dream at Bethel filled with angelic messengers, and lastly, the weighty wrestling with a divine figure, after which Jacob is renamed Israel, indicating a transformation in his character and destiny. Centrally poised, E and E sections cover Jacob's arrival and departure from Haran, illustrating the transitions of the seed character within foreign lands and the fulfilment of familial and divine promises. Additionally, the pivotal F and F sections feature the fertility of Jacob's family and flocks, reinforcing the idea of multiplication and prosperance of seed, which underpins the covenantal blessings of growth and abundance in the land that was promised. Waltke's analysis of the Jacob cycle through this concentric structure indicates the deliberate narrative design employed by the biblical author, bringing coherence to the complex story of Jacob and reinforcing the enduring themes of God's covenant with his people regarding their progeny and their place in the land. Also, in Voltke's analysis of the Joseph narrative, framed as the Twelve Sons cycle in the book of Genesis, he outlines a concentric, 
or chiastic, literary structure that maintains thematic parallels within the story. This structure points out the transformative journey of Joseph and his brothers, culminating in the resolution of family conflict and foreshadowing the future leadership dynamics among the tribes of Israel. At both the opening, A, and closing, A, of this cycle, the state of the family is showcased, transitioning from initial dysfunction to eventual reconciliation. The mourning of Jacob over the supposed death of Joseph B reflects a moment of deep family sorrow, which is later paralleled by Joseph mourning Jacob's actual passing, B, reiterating the personal growth and emotional depth of these characters. Central to the narrative is the interlude, C, where Judah's role as a leader is hinted at, an anticipation followed later by a more explicit blessing of leadership, C, over the tribes, suggesting his tribal superiority. Joseph's descent into slavery, D, counterpoints with his strategic imposition of servitude upon the Egyptian people, D, exemplifying a rise to power that contrasts with his humble beginnings. The favour Joseph finds at Pharaoh's court, which first elevates him as Egypt's saviour, E, later extends to his own family as he similarly rescues them, E, during the famine, thereby aligning his personal success with his role in the family's survival. The journey motif is explored through the brothers' initial travel to Egypt for grain, F, and subsequently with the entire family's migration to settle in the land, F, drawing attention to the physical movement that mirrors the family's shifting circumstances. At the heart of the narrative sit two pivotal moments, the testing of the brothers' loyalty and love, G, and Joseph's subsequent relinquishment of authority over his siblings, G, showcasing forgiveness and the relinquishing of past grievances. Waltke repeats that the cycle raises questions about which son will lead and from which tribe the king of Israel will emerge. Even though Joseph attains power in Egypt, the focus shifts to Judah, who is seen as the fitting progenitor of Israel's monarchy, further elaborated upon in subsequent chapters. This adjustment from Joseph's prominence to Judah's precedence alludes to broader themes of leadership and kingship that are central to the theological narrative of the people of Israel. Moreover, Voltka's analysis of the call of Abraham in Genesis 12, 1, 3 illuminates it as the pivotal moment in God's salvation history. He explores the narrative through the lens of three expanding circles, representing the increasing reach of God's salvific program from the individual to the universal. At the core, on the individual level, God commands Abraham to depart from his native land, kindred and father's house to a place God will reveal. This call is a foundational act in God's redemptive plan, with Abraham's election as the crucial first step. As God's way of bringing forth creation was marked by his unique self-sufficient nature, so is his calling of Abraham, a divinely appointed mission meant to initiate salvation for the world. Waltke, referencing Paul House, underlines that this choice of Abraham isn't meant to exclude or condemn others. Rather, it is a strategic and divine means to extol a blessing to nations that are predisposed to disregard moral rectitude. The election is understood not in terms of rejection, but as the commencement of a divine plan to bring about good. It is underscored that this election works in harmony with Abraham's obedience to God's call, a synergy between divine promise and human response. Furthermore, 
Walker stresses that the promises linked to Abraham's obedience will radiate outwardly, hence the three concentric circles. The initial circle is focused on Abraham, the individual, but through him and his descendants, the blessings will extend beyond personal gain. They are destined to reach his immediate offspring and ultimately the wider world, as the circles spread to encompass nations and eventually every people under heaven. Through this lens, Abraham's story is not just a tale of personal faith and destiny, but a cornerstone in the architecture of God's master plan for humanity, showing the flow of blessing from the individual to the universal. While Abraham's calling asks for a significant personal sacrifice and a venture into the unknown, it is designed to set the stage for a universal history of redemption. This understanding positions Abraham as not merely a patriarch, but a conduit for God's grace in the broader narrative of global salvation. In addition, in his examination of the concept of nationhood as promised to Abraham in Genesis 12, 2, Waltke outlines the foundational elements that constitute a nation within the context of the primary history, the body of narrative from Genesis through to Kings. He identifies these elements as a common people, a constitution or law, a shared land, and a leader or king, which are recurrent themes in the Pentateuch and subsequent historical books. Despite the common association of a nation with its land and sovereign, Voltke emphasizes that for Israel, these characteristics were not always present. During periods such as the wilderness wanderings and the Babylonian exile, Israel lacked both a land and a king, yet retained its identity as a nation. Waltke accentuates that the promise of nationhood to Abraham is pivotal and is further elaborated upon in subsequent covenants, found in Genesis chapters 15 and 17. Chapter 15 marks the bequeathal of the promised land to Abraham's descendants, and chapter 17 enlarges upon the promise, indicating that Abraham would be the progenitor of a multitude of nations and kings. Significantly, Following Abraham's act of obedience in his willingness to sacrifice his son Isaac, God reaffirms his promises with an oath, thus ensuring that Abraham's progeny would become a source of universal blessing. John Goldingay is referenced to draw a comparison between the primary history and the Mesopotamian Enuma Elish. Goldingay observes a time gap in the biblical narrative between the creation of the cosmos and the establishment of Israel as a nation-state a gap that is crucial for instilling a life of faith among God's people, relegating them to a pilgrim status dependent on God's word and promises. In sum, Waltke reflects on the nature of hope for the Israelites, founded not merely on human conditions such as poverty and uncertainty, but augmented by the evidence of God's enduring faithfulness and deeds, especially portrayed in Christ's resurrection. This historical precedent of triumph lends credibility to the anticipated future victory of God and informs the Church's present witness to this redemptive arc in God's plan for the world. Further, in his commentary on Genesis 12, 3, Waltke digs into the depth of God's promise to Abraham, affirming the expansive and enduring nature of the blessings intended for humanity. This pivotal moment in the biblical narrative signals a shift from the focus on Abraham and his immediate lineage to the broader mission of universal blessing, asserting the progression of divine action from individual to global scale. 
Voltke interprets the Hebrew term to bless, barke, as an action by God that signifies procreative abundance and victory. This term encompasses more than mere material prosperity. It denotes redemption and a transformative relationship with God, bringing about security and success. In stark contrast, the term to curse, rr, which stands opposite to bless, signifies the imposition of barrenness, chaos and mortality, pointing to a loss of fruitful relationship and a turn towards deterioration. The promise to Abraham includes both the assurance of blessing to his allies and a warning of curses to his adversaries. Those who bless Abraham implicitly acknowledge his divine vocation as a mediator of God's favour, advocating for prosperity upon him and his nation. However, showing disrespect or contempt toward Abraham, an act referred to as QLL, and by extension, his future descendants, aligns one against God's chosen mediator and attracts divine curse. Voltke observes that the Hebrew text places greater emphasis on the promise of blessing rather than cursing, with a grammatical distinction highlighting a determined purpose to bless. Furthermore, the text juxtaposes a plural reference to the recipients of blessings against a singular reference to the recipient of curses, suggesting that while blessings are intended for many, the curse is more focused and limited. This theological concept has contemporary implications, as Waltke identifies Jesus Christ of Nazareth and the Church as the present-day fulfilment of Abraham's seed. Disregarding them carries the risk of incurring divine judgment. He suggests that an increasingly secular Western civilization is experiencing the negative consequences of distancing itself from this sacred mediator. Ultimately, Waltke clarifies that the promise of blessings does not imply a universal application to every individual who has ever lived. Rather, it indicates a qualitative breadth in which representatives from every people group will have the opportunity to be blessed. This reflects God's strategy of selecting individuals to both dispense blessings broadly to the receptive and administer judgment to those who reject divine grace, a theme that is further developed throughout the biblical narrative. Besides, Waltke explores the theological foundation of God's relationship with Abraham, focusing on the importance of promise, covenants, and oath. Abraham's journey begins with God's commands to leave his homeland for Canaan, with divine promises hinging on his obedience. Abraham perseveres in faith despite challenges, such as procuring a burial site for his wife, which serves as his initial tangible claim in Canaan. The narrative in Genesis 15 unfolds with two pivotal nocturnal visions, detailing God's covenantal assurances. In the first vision, the promise of descendants is solidified. Abraham is initially sceptical due to his childlessness, questioning God about his heir. God addresses his doubts by indicating that his heir will be his own biological son. To reinforce this, God orchestrates a celestial display, pointing to the stars to signify the vastness of Abraham's future lineage. Moved by this, Abraham's belief is credited to him as righteousness, demonstrating his deep trust. The second vision in Genesis 15 indicates the land covenant. Abraham, seeking confirmation of his inheritance, is met by God with a profound covenant ritual. Following the ancient practice of covenant-making, God instructs Abraham to arrange halved animals in a path. Later, as darkness covers the land, God, symbolised as a smoking firepot with a blazing torch, passes through the animal pieces, 
This act solidifies the covenant and mimics regional customs where such passage symbolized the fate of covenant breakers. Notably, only God traverses this path, maintaining the unilateral nature of the covenant and its dependence on God's promise rather than Abraham's future actions. Waltke connects this covenantal theme to the previous chapter where Abraham declines material reward from the king of Sodom after a military triumph, affirming his reliance on God for provision. God's response in the form of an heir and inheritance symbols reaffirms his commitment. This unshakable bond, pointed out by God's self-imposed potential curse, underpins the Abrahamic covenant, essential to the subsequent national, territorial and spiritual blessings for Israel and their role in divine history. Additionally, Waltke's analysis of Genesis 17, 1, 27 explores the everlasting covenant established between God, referred to as I Am, and Abraham. The narrative positions Abraham as powerless to produce offspring at 99 years old, stressing that the miracle of his progeny is exclusively God's doing. The covenant reiterates God as the life-giver who can animate even the lifeless, much like Abraham and Sarah's advanced ages suggesting a dead tree and a wilted flower, respectively. The covenant is structured in three segments, each introduced by specific phrases, God's promises to Abraham, as for me, I am, the obligations of Abraham, as for you, Abraham, and the transformation of Sarai to Sarah, with an extended discussion of her significance, as for Sarai, Sarah. The enactment of the covenant is demonstrated by Abraham swiftly performing the rite of circumcision on his household, affirming his responsibility to the covenant. Waltke draws attention to the content of the covenant, which promises immense fertility to Abraham and Sarah, with implications of not only vast numbers of descendants, but also the emergence of nations and royal lineage. This expansion is amplified by God's changing of Abram's name to Abraham, signifying the broadening of his role from exalted father to father of a multitude. Distinct from the Noahic covenant, which was solely reliant on God for fulfilment, the Abrahamic covenant requires human participation through faith and the practical step of circumcision. This act of circumcision seals participation in the covenant community and God's protection and prosperity. In Christian theology, Baptism replaces circumcision as a symbol of purification and membership in the spiritual community, acting as a public declaration of justification by faith and representing the Holy Spirit's renewal of the heart. It's also considered an entry into the life and death of Christ. While neither circumcision nor baptism justifies on their own merit, they symbolize the prior justification by faith and recognition of the same God worshipped by Abraham. Waltke concludes by affirming that Abraham's adherence to the sign of circumcision ensured the future blessings of the covenant for his descendants, repeating the covenant as eternal and based on the trust in God's promise. Also, Waltke's analysis of God's covenant with Abraham discerns the critical differences among divine promises, covenants and oaths, as depicted in the book of Genesis. This exploration examines the nature and progression of God's assurance to Abraham regarding land, progeny, and blessings. Initially, Abraham receives a conditional promise from God, one that required him to demonstrate his obedience through leaving his homeland and his family. God's covenant with Abraham included the land covenant, 
which promised the land of Canaan to Abraham's descendants during the eras of Moses and Joshua. However, this land was not guaranteed forever. It was conditioned upon the observance of certain behaviours, specifically the act of circumcision for males and maintaining blamelessness before God, as described in Genesis 17, 1-2. A transformational moment occurs with the near sacrifice of Isaac. Abraham's faith is deeply tested, yet he proceeds to comply with God's command. This act of faithfulness compels God to make an unconditional and eternal oath to Abraham, elevating the promise to a binding agreement that does not depend on human faithfulness for its fulfilment. God's oath is captured in Genesis 22, 16, 18, solidifying a permanent blessing of countless descendants and a guarantee that through Abraham's lineage, all nations on earth would be blessed. Waltke underlines the distinction, drawn from John Goldingay's scholarly work, between the terms promise, covenant, and oath. A promise is an expressed intent to act. A covenant is a more substantial agreement made with a degree of formality, but an oath bears the most solemn commitment. Unlike broken contracts, which may not lead to legal penalties, breaking an oath, especially under certain conditions, can be punishable. By swearing an oath, God binds himself to his word with the utmost solemnity, forever assuring Abraham's descendants that the covenant will be fulfilled. Waltke suggests that the land promised should thus be considered sworn land rather than merely promised land. The commitment entrenched in an oath removes all doubt and debate, reflecting the immutable nature of God's will. Moreover, Waltke cites Hebrews 6.16.17 and 2 Timothy 2.13 to illustrate the finality and absolute certainty of God's oath. He debates that if faithful Abraham upheld his part of the covenant, then God's faithfulness is even more assured, since he is bound by his own unchangeable character. Waltke's reflection underscores God's sovereignty and the indelible commitment he has made to his chosen people. Furthermore, Waltke explores the biblical metaphor of seed. This metaphor, introduced in the Genesis creation narrative, embodies the idea that humans, like seeds, possess inherent characteristics that develop over time, influenced by both their nature and divine intervention. Waltke probes into the unity of God's chosen people by assessing various Christian doctrines addressing the relationship between ethnic Israel and the Church. He critiques historic dispensationalism, a theological system that separates Israel and the Church into two distinct entities under different covenants, Israel under the Sinai Covenant and the Church under the New Covenant. This view was particularly influential in 20th century North American theology. Waltke also rejects two covenants theology, labelling it heretical for suggesting that Jews can be saved outside of faith in Christ. He then examines replacement or supersession theology, which held that the Church had superseded ethnic Israel in God's covenants until the rise of realised eschatology, which claims the Church realises the kingdom promised to Israel and awaits full consummation. Waltke advocates for a unified understanding of God's people, bound by a common faith in Christ. He traces the continuity from Israel, who anticipated the coming Messiah, to the Church, which commemorates his sacrifice. The Old and New Covenants are connected, he emphasises, not by outward rites, but by an inward spiritual transformation, manifest in both circumcision of the heart and baptism by the Holy Spirit.
The metaphor of seed captures the complex dynamic of God's people, encompassing individual and communal aspects. Through covenants with key Old Testament figures, Abraham, Moses and David, believers are united in Christ. Baptism becomes the new sign of unity, replacing circumcision. Pauline theology reinforces this unity in believers' shared identifications with Christ's death and resurrection. This unity extends beyond individual faith to a collective body of believers, inspired by the Holy Spirit to love one another. In conclusion, Voltke accentuates that the Church should prioritise unity of the Spirit over doctrinal conformity to grow into doctrinal unity, a stance he sees as crucial for the Church's harmony and spiritual health. In addition, in his interpretation of Genesis 1.11, Voltke presents the narrative as a delineation of humanity into two main spiritual lineages, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The narrative begins with the seed of the woman, who embodies an allegiance and love for God, as seen in figures like Abel and Seth. This is juxtaposed with the seed of the serpent associated with Cain, whose lineage symbolises an intrinsic spiritual opposition to God. The struggle between these spiritual races forms the central theme within the book of Genesis. The structure of Genesis is defined by ten genealogical portions, or toledot, which provide a backbone for the text, tracing the righteous lineage from Adam and Eve through to the twelve tribes of Israel. These genealogies serve to differentiate the spiritual descendants of Eve's enmity with the serpent from those aligned with the serpent. A pivotal moment in this lineage occurs with Noah's prophecy. In this prophecy, a specific divine commitment is made to Shem, indicating a special role for his descendants. Paralleled in this prophecy is the suggestion that Japheth's progeny will both proliferate greatly and in time inherit the role initially designated to Shem, an event that finds its fulfilment in the unfolding of the New Testament narrative, where Japheth's descendants, representing the Gentiles, are seen to be brought into God's fold. The narrative places the Japhetic territories in the northeastern Mediterranean region, which would later become significant as the early Gentile church began to form there. Japheth thus serves as a synecdoche for all nations in contrast to Canaan, the cursed son of Ham, whose lineage is destined to be subservient to that of Shem and Japheth. Distinct characteristics of the different seeds are illuminated further in Genesis 10 through the Table of Seventy Nations, which offers a divided genealogy that subsequently leads to God scattering the people across the earth by dividing their languages in Genesis 11. Despite the dispersion and differentiation among the descendants of Noah's sons, the placement of the table of nations in the narrative after Shem and Japheth's blessings asserts a theological vision wherein all nations are fundamentally recipients of Noah's benedictions, not condemned to experience Canaan's curse. This narrative choice highlights a worldview of inclusion, suggesting that blessings transcend divisions and engulf all nations in divine beneficence. Further, in his exploration of Romans 11, 136, Waltke explores the metaphor of the olive tree as a representation of the people of God, with particular emphasis on the theological reflections of the Apostle Paul regarding ethnic Israel and its place in salvation history. This analysis is situated within the broader literary context of Romans chapters 9 to 11, a section of Paul's epistle 
that addresses the complex relationship between Jews and Gentiles concerning God's salvific plan. The discussion is structured around a series of developments that Paul outlines to articulate this relationship. Firstly, Waltke indicates that the patriarchs, likened to the nourishing root of an olive tree, establish a foundational connection for the people of Israel to the promises and covenants of God. This imagery maintains the enduring nature of the patriarchal blessings that sustain Israel's identity as God's chosen people. In the second development, Paul speaks of the natural branches, or Israel's descendants turning away from faith, resulting in their being broken off from the olive tree. This act of breaking off signifies Israel's collective rejection of Jesus as the Messiah, a predominant theme in Paul's discourse. Waltke then shifts focus to the intersection of faithfulness and unfaithfulness within Israel. Although large parts of Israel have not recognized Jesus, there remains a faithful remnant that upholds the covenant with God. Simultaneously, this partial hardening of Israel has facilitated the grafting in of the wild branches, the Gentiles, who embrace the message of Jesus, thus sharing in the historic privileged status once held by ethnic Israel. The fourth and final development in Voltke's insight into Romans 11 addresses the theme of restoration. Paul posits that Israel's spiritual hardening is not an eternal state. There is an until, a turning point, that will come after the full inclusion of the Gentiles. This future event will usher in the comprehensive salvation of Israel, fulfilling the biblical prophecies and God's enduring promises. Throughout his exposition, Waltke suggests that Paul sees both judgment and mercy at play in God's dealings with human beings. The Apostle views the current unbelief within Israel as a means through which salvation can extend to the Gentiles. Ultimately, this narrative arc will resolve in the fullness of God's redemptive plan, demonstrating divine wisdom and faithfulness. The concluding doxology of Romans 11 serves as Paul's ultimate expression of awe at the depths of God's wisdom, knowledge, and inscrutable judgments. Besides, Volker's interpretation of the book of Genesis centers on the divine orchestration of the lineage of the Israelites, beginning with Abraham. He views God's call to Abraham as a critical juncture, marking not only Abraham's departure from his idolatrous background, but also the beginning of God's redemptive plan for humanity. Abraham's response to God, leaving his native land as an act of faith, points out the significant role of human obedience in the fulfilment of God's promises. As the narrative continues, Waltke notes a pattern of divine selection that transcends human precedence and expectation. Isaac, rather than his half-brother Ishmael, is the recipient of the covenantal promises, despite being the younger and, in human eyes, the less likely heir. This theme is reiterated in the choice of Jacob over his twin brother Esau. God's sovereign grace is reiterated, detaching the blessing from human endeavours and merit. The climax of the patriarchal saga is found in Jacob's blessings to his sons, the progenitors of the twelve tribes of Israel. These poetic declarations, delivered at Jacob's deathbed, are as much prophecies about the future of the tribes as they are reflections of their characters. Waltke identifies that some of Jacob's words, which might be perceived as curses or anti-blessings when considered against Reuben's promiscuity and the violent tendencies of Simeon and Levi, actually serve a larger purpose. 
Such censures ensure the stability and moral direction of the emerging nation, preventing traits that could lead to ruinous leadership or unrestrained brutality. Waltke suggests that these moments of corrective action within the blessings reveal an underlying complexity in the development of the Israelite nation. While bound by common descent and history and regarded as a unit by God, not all the tribes or individuals within them epitomize the faith of their forefather Abraham. The end of Genesis leaves the reader with a multifaceted portrait of Israel, comprising diverse tribal destinies unified under a single divine promise, yet bearing the responsibility to live out the faith in the God who chose and called them. Additionally, Voltke discusses the dynamic and often tumultuous history of Israel as a people chosen by God, yet frequently marked by cycles of faithfulness and rebellion. He opens by acknowledging God's abundant blessings and providence for Israel from their prolific growth in Egypt to the dramatic events of the Exodus. Despite God's miracles and constant support, the Israelites repeatedly struggle to remain steadfast in faith. Only a faithful few truly embody the commitment expected by God. The pattern of Israel's unfaithfulness begins early. While God directs Israel to live in obedience to his laws and trust in him after their deliverance from Egypt, they soon turn to idolatry, constructing a golden calf and indulging in pagan practices. Despite occasional repentance, Israel falls back into similar sins, even adopting the worship of Canaanite deities like Baal. Through successive generations, even after the leadership of Joshua, fidelity to God waxes and wanes. The period of the judges is notable for its revivals, yet the people often relapse into disobedience. King David emerges as a beacon of devotion among the monarchs, but many of his successors lead the nation into apostasy and eventually exile. The prophets offer a glimmer of hope amidst judgment, predicting a restoration to their land and the establishment of a new covenant heralded by a Messiah. This prophetic vision is partially realized when the Israelite community returns from exile and re-establishes a limited form of self-governance, albeit under the shadow of foreign empires. Jew emerges as the term to describe the post-exilic descendants of Judah, encompassing both natives and converts. However, by the time of Jesus, Waltke suggests that Judaism has taken an oppositional stance to Christ, akin to that of Babylon against Jerusalem. The religious establishment of the Jews colludes with Roman power to crucify Jesus, although God signifies Jesus' divine kingship through celestial events. Waltke disputes against conflating the religion of Abraham, Moses, and the prophets with Judaism, which he views as antithetical to the message of Christ. Rather, he sets true Israel, which faithfully follows God's will, apart from nominal or in name only, Israel. The faithful remnant becomes a prototype for the church, which inherits Israel's divine promises, but is also subject to divine judgment if unfaithful. Ultimately, Voltke repeats that the church must recognize its roots in Israel, which provided the foundational theological concepts, ethical teachings, and salvific history culminating in Jesus Christ. Salvation's story, as Waltke concludes, is deeply rooted in the Jewish legacy. Also, Waltke examines the dynamic of Gentiles, termed as wild branches, being integrated into the church, 
correlating to Paul's olive tree metaphor in which Israel's spiritual heritage is shared with the Gentiles following Jewish disobedience and the rejection of Christ. He explains how the covenant made with Abraham in Genesis foresaw this spiritual inclusion, transcending mere bloodlines to encompass a broader, inclusive family of faith. Waltke discusses both biological and spiritual interpretations of the promise that Abraham would father many nations, supported by genealogical records and scriptural texts. Notably, he underlines the covenant's broader scope, as evidenced by the requirement for all males in Abraham's household to be circumcised, regardless of their direct kinship to Abraham. The New Testament further clarifies this inclusive perspective. Jesus' teachings and parables, particularly regarding the Good Samaritan and his remarks on the Kingdom of God, reveal that righteousness and acceptance of the New Covenant are paramount, not ethnic lineage. This idea is echoed in Paul's writings, which interpret Abraham's fatherhood as encompassing the Gentiles through faith. Waltke underscores that with the death of Jesus, whom he refers to as his son, God marks the end for national Israel and begins building a new, spiritual Israel. This new entity, the Church, welcomes believers from all nations and is founded on the cornerstone, Christ, that the previous religious builders had rejected. The Apostle Paul's letters, especially to the Ephesians, articulate the unity of Jews and Gentiles within the Church and emphasize their shared inheritance of God's promises. Waltke stresses that, despite this inclusion, God preserves a remnant of original Israel while prudently managing his kingdom by pruning and grafting branches as necessary. Moreover, Waltke warns that churches can become corrupt and face divine judgment, similar to Israel's historical downfall. He uses the example of the early Christian communities in Turkey and predicts that, just as God removed them for their failures, he's currently pruning Western churches and fostering growth in other parts of the world. Furthermore, Waltke investigates the subject of Israel's eschatological salvation within the framework of Paul's epistle to the Romans, particularly focusing on Romans 11.25.26, which discusses the salvation of all Israel. Waltke articulates this concept by exploring the notion that Israel's hardening is temporary and will endure until the salvation of the Gentiles is complete. To elucidate Paul's meaning, he grapples with three ambiguities the duration denoted by the word akri, until, the referent of hutos, in this way, and the scope of all Israel. Waltke draws on Douglas Moo's analysis, which perceives a symmetrical pattern in Paul's argument, consisting of a three-stage oscillation between Israel's sin and rejection, Gentile inclusion, and Israel's eventual reconciliation. Each stage reflects a progression Israel's trespass results in Gentile salvation, leading to Israel's full inclusion, verses 11-12. Israel's rejection leads to the world's reconciliation, culminating in Israel's acceptance and life from the dead, verses 13-16, and the breaking off of Israel, natural branches, and grafting in of Gentiles, wild shoots, followed by the regrafting of Israel, verses 17-24. In this context, Akri marks the period when Gentile salvation is achieved, at which point God will refocus on Israel. Hutos relates to the process by which Israel's hardening yields Gentile salvation, eventually leading to Israel's redemption. 
all Israel is understood as the corporate entity of ethnic Israel at a future time of acceptance, not necessarily signifying every single Jewish person. Voltke accentuates this pattern as a mystery, a divine secret that aligns with Old Testament prophecies forecasting a deliverer from Zion who will banish ungodliness from Jacob. He ties this to Paul's larger argument, affirming that the church bears a vital responsibility to evangelize Jews who will always maintain a remnant within the church. Concluding with a hopeful outlook, Voltke anticipates a future where the Lord will mercifully deal with Israel, guiding them to repent and acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Messiah, both the human descendant of David and the divine Son by the Spirit. In addition, Voltke delves into the serious spiritual lineage of the Abrahamic seed, asserting the patriarchs as the foundational root. He invokes the creation narrative's principle of according to its kind, suggesting that offspring inherently mirror the nature of their progenitor. This raises a pivotal inquiry. What constitutes the spiritual genetic code of the seed that bears fruit for God's glory? In his exploration, Waltke contrasts the complexity and ambiguity inherent in individual lives with the narrative simplification often employed in storytelling, where characters are distilled to their defining traits, exemplified by figures like Scrooge or Sherlock Holmes. Within the biblical narrative, however, the patriarchs, their kin and their adversaries are portrayed not as one-dimensional, but as dynamic, evolving characters. They are not flat figures, but rather round figures, whose true nature and defining traits are revealed most vividly in their responses to crises and divine tests. Further, Voltke engages with Moshe Weinfeld's analysis, which draws parallels between the patriarchal narratives and Virgil's Aeneid. Weinfeld attributes the commonalities between these disparate works to a universal psychological need for foundational narratives. Despite their distinct cultural and historical contexts, both works address a deep-seated human desire to understand and connect with one's origins. In essence, Walker's analysis suggests that the spiritual genetic code of Abraham's seed transcends mere biological descent. It encompasses the cultivation of character and faith, shaped and revealed through trials and divine interaction. The narratives of the patriarchs, therefore, serve not only as historical accounts, but as thorough reflections on the spiritual and cultural identity of the Israel of God, rooted in the legacy of faith, resilience, and divine guidance exemplified by their forebears. Besides, Boltke, in his examination of Abraham as an icon of faith, highlights the prominence of Abraham in Hebrews 11, a chapter that honours the faith of Old Testament figures. The extended attention Abraham receives, 12 verses compared to 6 for Moses and 1 for most others, signals his significant role as a paragon of faith. Abraham's life is marked by a series of weighty acts of faith, leaving his native land for an unknown destination, peacefully resolving a land dispute with Lot, triumphing over powerful kings, steadfastly believing in the divine promise of a son against all odds, and, most remarkably, his readiness to sacrifice Isaac, showcasing his absolute trust in God. However, Waltke also portrays Abraham as a complex figure, whose faith journey includes moments of doubt and weakness. Abraham's narrative is not one of unwavering perfection, but is punctuated with human frailties. His hesitation to leave his homeland, 
his escape to Egypt during famine, his attempt to engineer the fulfillment of God's promise through Hagar, and his recurring deception about Sarah's identity to protect himself. These episodes reveal a man who, despite being the archetype of faith, is also susceptible to fear and doubt. Waltke's portrayal of Abraham serves as a powerful reminder of the multifaceted nature of faith, which is not a linear trajectory of constant fidelity, but a nuanced journey encompassing moments of profound trust as well as instances of human vulnerability. The covenant scenes, pivotal in Abraham's story, indicate this complexity, revealing a faith that is both resilient and tested. This balanced perspective on Abraham maintains his significance not only as a figure of immense faith, but also as a relatable individual whose life reflects the broader human experience of grappling with faith amidst life's challenges. Additionally, Waltke scrutinizes the intricate nature of faith, grounding his examination in Abraham's narrative. He differentiates between two facets of faith, fides qua, the act of trusting, and fides qua, the content of belief, stressing that both are vital for genuine redemptive faith. He critiques certain groups for their imbalanced focus on either aspect, pointing out that Christian scientists reiterate trust without proper belief, while nominal Christians might acknowledge creeds without truly trusting the God those creeds represent. Central to Waltke's exposition is the story of Abraham, a figure who, despite facing a reality starkly contradicting God's promises, evident in his lack of an heir, exemplifies unwavering faith. This faith, as Waltke portrays, transcends mere human reasoning and sensory perception. It's an imaginative trust kindled by divine revelation and the inward assurance granted by God's Spirit. This faith sees beyond the transient physical world, envisioning a more enduring spiritual reality. Abraham's belief, particularly in God's promise of a seed that would bless all nations, wasn't just an act of trust, it was accounted to him as righteousness. This pivotal biblical concept, foundational in Pauline theology, repeats justification by faith rather than by law adherence. Abraham's faith, with its deep trust in the prophetic word, a promise culminating in Jesus Christ, serves as a model for Christian belief. This narrative not only demonstrates the complexity and depth of faith, but also underlines its role in establishing a right relationship with God. It's a faith that sees beyond the present, anchoring in the promises of God, and is marked by an assurance that transforms human understanding and aligns it with divine purpose and promise. Also, Voltke offers a nuanced interpretation of Genesis 17, exploring the intricate interplay between faith, obedience, and the divine covenant with Abraham. He draws from the Heidelberg Catechism to underscore that genuine faith inevitably manifests as obedience, a concept vividly demonstrated by Abraham's adherence to God's directive to walk before me and be blameless, and his commitment to circumcising his household, thereby physically affirming the covenant. Waltke articulates the covenant's dual nature. Initiated by God's sovereign action, its perpetuation requires human response, primarily demonstrated by living a life aligned with God's presence and fulfilling the circumcision command. This ritual transcends a mere physical act, signifying a deeper spiritual commitment, a theme further developed in the New Testament as the Holy Spirit's heart circumcision. Transitioning to the New Covenant, Waltke delineates a shift from Abraham's physical descendants 
to a spiritual lineage through faith in Christ. In this new era, the external sign of circumcision gives way to baptism. This sacrament symbolizes not just the renunciation of sin, but a life infused with faith, undergirded by Christ's resurrection power. Importantly, Voltke emphasizes the continuity between the covenants, spotlighting the family's role in integrating children into the covenant community, a practice consistent across both testaments. Yet, he cautions against superficial participation in these rites, devoid of authentic faith and obedience to God's will, accentuating the covenant's demand for a heartfelt commitment. In essence, Waltke's exposition on Genesis 17 unveils the serious dynamics of the covenantal relationship between God and his people, characterized by divine initiation, requisite human response, and the transformative power of faith, encapsulated in the transition from physical rituals to spiritual realities in the Christian faith. Moreover, in his interpretation of Genesis 22, Voltke illuminates the thorough narrative of the binding of Isaac, affirming it as a pivotal illustration of the intense relationship between a man and God. He references Eric Auerbach and Everett Fox to assert the biblical narrative's focus on such crucial, defining decisions. This is most starkly portrayed in Abraham's ultimate test of faith, where he is commanded by God to sacrifice his son Isaac, a demand that seems to defy reason, ethics, and parental affection. Voltke aligns with Soren Kierkegaard in portraying the depth of this demand, likening it to an old man being asked to relinquish his cane, a metaphor for support and hope. Abraham's response to God's command is characterised by radical obedience, a concept Voltke dives into. This obedience is not blind but a weighty act of faith, balancing the divine command against the promise of future generations between his love for his son and his commitment to God. Abraham's ascent up the mountain is not just a physical journey, but a profound, solitary spiritual ascent into the realm of absolute obedience and trust. Furthermore, Waltke explores the narrative's broader theological implications, viewing it as a divine test that probes the depth and quality of one's faith, a theme consistent with the New Testament. He interprets the fulfilment of God's promises to Abraham as partial, a precursor to the complete realization of these blessings in the eschaton, the ultimate future fulfillment for the faithful. Linking this Old Testament narrative to the New Testament, Waltke discusses John's Gospel, where the faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, is a continuation and redefinition of the themes of promise and faith. This connection showcases the continuity of God's promise and the central theme of faith, bridging the Old and New Testaments, illustrating the narrative's timeless relevance. In addition, Waltke offers a nuanced interpretation of Isaac's narrative in Genesis, challenging the traditional view of Isaac as a passive or submissive figure. According to Waltke, Isaac's true character is not defined by his adolescent experience in The Binding of Isaac, but rather in his later years, specifically during the episode Isaac Blesses the Twins. In this scene, Isaac, on the brink of what he believes to be his death, exhibits a deep spiritual insensitivity and a life ensnared by physical sensuality, failing to properly bestow God's blessing onto the next generation. Waltke highlights two conspicuous gaps in the Genesis narrative that cast Isaac in a negative light. 
The first is the absence of a Toledot, generations section for Isaac, a literary structure used to indicate the importance of other biblical figures like Abraham, Jacob, and their descendants. This omission suggests that Isaac's role among the patriarchs is less significant, as his life story is overshadowed by the narratives of his father, Abraham, and his son Jacob. The second gap is the sudden disappearance of Isaac and Rebekah from the story following the pivotal scene of blessing the twins. This stark absence is further pointed out by the rich memorial narratives dedicated to other patriarchs and matriarchs. The near silence about Isaac and Rebekah's later life and death starkly contrasts with the detailed accounts of others, reiterating their marginality. Despite these narrative voids, Waltke reconstructs Isaac's life trajectory through the overlapping stories of Abraham and Jacob. Isaac's life reaches a spiritual zenith with the birth of his twins, but then gradually declines, hinting at a path leading to his ultimate failure in old age. Through this reconstruction, Waltke portrays Isaac's story as a sombre warning about the perils of sensuality and the consequences of spiritual neglect urging readers to discern the deeper moral and spiritual lessons embedded in Isaac's life. Further, Waltke's analysis of Isaac's life, as narrated in Genesis, paints a vivid picture of a man whose existence is fundamentally intertwined with divine design and human complexity. Isaac's journey commences with a miraculous birth to elderly parents, Abraham and Sarah, signifying not just the dawn of a new life, but also the maturation of faith and the palpable presence of divine power. This auspicious beginning, however, doesn't render Isaac's life immune to spiritual and relational challenges. Educated and nurtured in a household steeped in divine teachings, Isaac epitomizes obedience and trust, most poignantly illustrated in the Binding of Isaac episode. His compliance isn't born out of naivety, but stems from deep-seated faith and reverence for his earthly father and divine providence. Isaac's union with Rebecca, orchestrated by divine intervention, initially appears as a testament to the perfect alignment of human desires with God's will. Yet even this relationship, divinely arranged, isn't spared from discord, hinting at the inherent complexities of life and relationships, even those under the umbrella of divine favour. Isaac's spiritual voyage is marked by a steadfast devotion to God, exemplified through his persistent prayers for progeny, a petition that God fulfills after a prolonged wait, repeating themes of patience, divine timing and reward. However, Isaac's narrative isn't a linear progression of faith. It also witnesses a waning of spiritual fervour, transitioning from a life punctuated by prayer to one characterised by a noticeable absence of the same. In his interactions with the Philistines and in the act of re-digging his father's wells, Isaac not only reaffirms God's protective grace over his family, but also aligns himself with Abraham's vision and unwavering trust in God. Through these acts, Isaac doesn't merely reclaim his father's physical legacy, but also reasserts a spiritual continuity, honouring the past while anchoring it firmly in the present. Waltke's portrayal of Isaac is one of serious depth, depicting a life that, while distinctly favoured and guided by God, navigates its own unique set of trials and triumphs, mirroring the intricate tapestry of human existence intertwined with divine orchestration. Besides, Waltke digs into the narrative of Isaac blesses the twins, 
presenting it as a stark contrast to the earlier scenes where Isaac is depicted under God's favourable light. The narrative takes a tragic turn, attributed to Isaac's partiality towards Esau, driven by his taste for the game Esau hunts. This preference, Waltke notes, subtly reveals a sensuality in Isaac that, although not overtly corrupt, marks a departure from the spiritual integrity exemplified by Abraham and Jacob. This critical observation is introduced through the narrative's foreshadowing of Isaac's downfall, underlining his fondness for Esau, linked to the pleasures derived from Esau's hunting. Waltke then draws attention to the narrative structure, which is meticulously framed to underscore the tragic elements. The structure is marked by an inclusio, references to Esau's Hittite wives, who are sources of discontent for Isaac and Rebekah. Within this framework, the narrative unfolds through four distinct yet interconnected scenes involving interactions between family members, Isaac and Esau, Rebekah and Jacob, Isaac and Jacob, and a concluding scene between Isaac and Esau. This sequence of events paints a vivid, dark portrait of familial dynamics, leading to a poignant conclusion in the lives of Isaac and Rebekah. Through this detailed analysis, Waltke emphasises the thorough narrative and theological implications embedded in the story. He accentuates how personal preferences and sensuality, seemingly benign at first, can have far-reaching consequences, affecting not only familial relationships, but also the larger divine narrative. The story of Isaac and his twins, therefore, serves as a complex, multi-layered narrative, rich in its portrayal of human nature and divine providence. Additionally, Waltke offers a critical perspective on Isaac's actions in the narratives of Genesis, particularly focusing on the events surrounding the blessing of his sons, Jacob and Esau. Waltke interprets Isaac's behaviour as a striking deviation from divine directives and the patriarch's inner convictions. The issue at hand is Isaac's stubborn preparation to bless his eldest son Esau, despite explicit revelation from God that the elder would serve the younger, a prophecy delivered to Rebekah during her pregnancy. Genesis 25, 23. Illustrating the extent of Isaac's defiance, Waltke draws attention to Isaac's desire to bestow a dominant status upon Esau, the power over nations and authority over his own siblings, including Jacob. This intention blatantly disregards God's communicated will and betrays a personal disconnect, as Isaac appears willing to ignore his and Rebekah's emotional distress, specifically their bitterness of spirit caused by Esau's marriages to Hittite women. Genesis 26:35. Furthermore, Rebekah's deep-seated aversion is so intense that she would consider her own life worthless if Jacob followed his brother's footsteps in matrimony. Genesis 27. 46. Despite these considerations, Isaac presses forward with a plan that would not only affirm Esau's unfavourable unions, but also imperil the sacred and distinctive identity the family held by virtue of its covenant with God. The broader implication of Isaac's choice is that it could compromise the community's consecrated purpose. Voltke's analysis raises weighty concerns about Isaac's motivations. At this juncture of his life, Isaac seems more attuned to his physical appetites than to spiritual fidelity. In this, Waltke observes a cautionary tale, aligning Isaac's behaviour with a proverbial warning against overindulgence, Proverbs 25, 27. 
The patriarch's actions serve as an admonition against the inclination to satisfy immediate desires at the expense of moral and divine truth. Waltke thus challenges readers to consider the consequences of disregarding both God's command and deeply held personal convictions in pursuit of transient pleasure. Also, Waltke offers an insightful analysis of the narrative involving Isaac, Esau and Jacob, affirming the profound significance of patriarchal blessings in the ancient Near Eastern context. This blessing, traditionally meant for the elder son, extends beyond material inheritance to encompass spiritual leadership and the perpetuation of familial and covenantal legacies. Isaac's intention to bless Esau is controversial, given Esau's apparent unsuitability for such an honour. Esau's preference for immediate gratification, epitomised by his impulsive exchange of his birthright for a bowl of soup, casts him as a character driven by fleeting desires rather than long-term spiritual vision. His physical traits, the redness symbolising passion and hairiness indicating a brutish nature, further assert his unfitness for the spiritual and leadership mantle that comes with the patriarchal blessing. In contrast, Isaac's bias towards Esau is portrayed as a flawed personal preference, heavily influenced by his taste for the game that Esau provides. This inclination is meticulously highlighted through the narrative's recurrent emphasis on Isaac's love for savoury food. Commentators such as Alexander White liken Isaac's fixation on savoury meat to the defining downfalls of other biblical figures, suggesting a deep spiritual blindness in Isaac, where his carnal appetites eclipse his spiritual duties and discernment. Voltke's exposition thus critically examines the dynamics of Isaac's family, indicating the spiritual depth and moral implications embedded in the narrative. The story is not just about familial preferences, but serves as a serious exploration of spiritual priorities, the weight of cultural traditions, and the lasting consequences of valuing immediate worldly pleasures over spiritual and eternal inheritances. Moreover, Voltke, in this insightful analysis, examines the pivotal narrative of Isaac's secretive intention to bless Esau, maintaining the stark contrast between this private, almost underhanded action and the openly celebrated blessings found later in the Bible, such as those by Jacob and Moses. He points out the narrative's portrayal of Isaac's preference for Esau, a choice shrouded in secrecy, suggesting a sense of unease or moral ambiguity surrounding his decision. This hidden nature of Isaac's actions starkly contrasts with the communal and transparent manner in which blessings are typically conferred within the Holy Family, as seen in later biblical accounts. Waltke draws attention to the moment Rebecca, who is portrayed as more spiritually attuned, becomes aware of Isaac's secretive plan. This revelation sets off a chain of deceitful manoeuvres involving Jacob, culminating in weighty familial strife. The narrative, as interpreted by Voltke, becomes a canvas showcasing the consequences of actions carried out in secrecy versus those conducted openly and in the light of communal scrutiny. The author uses this biblical narrative as a mirror for self-reflection, prompting readers to consider the transparency of their actions and decisions. He poignantly asks whether one is an open book, extending the metaphor to the openness of one's financial dealings, symbolised by the checkbook.
This rhetorical question drives home the message that moral integrity and righteousness are inherently connected to the willingness to subject one's actions to public scrutiny. Waltke's analysis not only provides a deep dive into the biblical text, but also encourages an introspective examination of the ethical dimensions of transparency and secrecy in one's personal conduct. Furthermore, Waltke interprets the encounter between Isaac and Jacob as a narrative rich with spiritual symbolism and dramatic irony, particularly reiterating the deep disconnect between Isaac's physical and spiritual perception. Isaac's reliance on his flawed sensory experiences, rather than divine wisdom, is repeated as a central theme. The narrative vividly illustrates how each of the five senses – touch, taste, smell, sight and hearing – fails Isaac leading him away from spiritual truth and divine intent. Derek Kidner, whose commentary is referenced by Waltke, sharply criticises Isaac's frivolous approach to his spiritual duties. Kidner underlines the tragic irony in Isaac's misplaced confidence in his senses, especially taste, which disastrously misleads him. This sensory reliance is portrayed as a deep-seated flaw reflecting a superficial and irresponsible attitude towards his sacred responsibilities. Isaac's decision-making, grounded in sensory input rather than spiritual insight or divine instruction, starkly contrasts with the expected discernment of a patriarch, diminishing his stature and casting a shadow on his leadership within the holy lineage. The narrative's dramatic irony culminates in the pivotal scene where Isaac, intending to bestow his blessing upon Esau, is unwittingly ensnared in a deception, blessing Jacob instead. This pivotal moment not only underscores Isaac's sensory and spiritual blindness, but also subtly weaves the divine narrative into the tapestry of human fallibility. In this divinely orchestrated twist, Isaac's misplaced trust in his senses inadvertently fulfills a higher divine purpose. Thus, Isaac, once a revered patriarch, emerges as a tragic figure, a man outwitted by a simple deception, exemplifying the limitations and vulnerability of human judgment when it is severed from spiritual discernment and divine guidance. In addition, Waltke's interpretation of the narrative involving Isaac and Esau sheds light on the intricate dimensions of faith and morality within biblical characters. In this particular scene, Isaac is depicted as a multifaceted figure, embodying both human frailties and a serious sense of spiritual conviction. Despite his personal shortcomings and the complexities surrounding his family dynamics, Isaac's faith in God remains unwavering. This steadfast faith is most prominently displayed when he bestows blessings, fully believing that he is an instrument of God's irrevocable will. The scene reaches a poignant climax when Esau, realising that his blessing has been deceitfully taken by Jacob, implores his father for a blessing of his own. Isaac's response is deeply revealing. He acknowledges the deceitful manner in which Jacob obtained the blessing, but also accepts the unfolding of events as part of a divine plan. This acceptance is not passive. It is an active recognition of a higher purpose at work, one that Isaac, despite his personal feelings, chooses to honour. The complexity of Isaac's character is emblematic of the human condition flawed yet capable of extraordinary faith and insight. Waltke emphasises this duality by accentuating that Isaac's actions are a blend of self-interest and virtuous dedication. This blend is further acknowledged in the New Testament, 
where the writer of Hebrews commemorates Isaac, not for the moral ambiguities that marked his life, but for his faith. Specifically, Isaac is remembered for blessing Jacob, an act that, despite the surrounding deceit, is seen as a testament to his unwavering faith in God's plan. This nuanced portrayal affirms a fundamental biblical theme, that faith is often interwoven with human imperfection and that God's purposes can manifest through the complex tapestry of human choices and actions, even when they are morally ambiguous. Isaac's story, therefore, is not just a narrative about a patriarch, but a reflection on the nature of faith, morality, and the divine-human relationship. Last but not least, Waltke's exploration of Jacob's life reveals a weighty narrative of transformation through faith and prayer. By examining Jacob's journey, Waltke illuminates the essential role that faith plays in pleasing God and asserts the critical importance of prayer in navigating a life of faithfulness. Jacob, initially depicted as a deceiver and manipulator, embodies the transformative grace of God, moving from a position of self-reliance to one of dependence on divine providence. The essence of Jacob's transformation is encapsulated in the dramatic encounter with the angel of I Am. This pivotal moment not only signifies a change in Jacob's character, but also serves as a metaphor for his spiritual struggle with God. Through this encounter, filled with mystery and ambiguity, Jacob realises that true blessing and strength derive from surrendering to God's will, rather than from his cunning or physical prowess. Jacob's early life is marked by attempts to secure his place and blessing within his family through deception, leading to estrangement and conflict. However, his experience as a fugitive and his subsequent prosperity in Mesopotamia are testament to God's enduring faithfulness. His eventual confrontation with Esau preceded by an intense night of wrestling with the angel of I Am, symbolises Jacob's inner transformation. The physical incapacity inflicted upon him forces Jacob to abandon reliance on his own abilities, turning instead to fervent prayer and submission to God's grace. Waltke elucidates several key paradoxes in Jacob's journey. Solitude as a space for encountering God, conflict with others as a mirror of one's relationship with the divine, and the concept of strength in weakness. Through these, Jacob evolves from a figure of ambition and self-sufficiency to one emblematic of spiritual resilience and reliance on God. In sum, Waltke positions Jacob's narrative within the broader context of God's people, characterised by a legacy of faith, integrity and prayer. Jacob's story, with its emphasis on the power of grace and transformation, offers a compelling testament to the enduring importance of faith and prayer in achieving a life that is pleasing to God. In conclusion, Voltke's scholarly interpretation of Genesis examines the theme of divine selection and human response, unwrapping the complex narrative that begins with creation and leads through the lives of patriarchs like Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. This interpretation not only highlights the covenantal relationship God establishes with humanity, but also scrutinises the role of faith and obedience in cultivating this relationship. Besides, in Genesis, the election of Abraham and his descendants as the chosen seed forms the crux, illustrating how, through them, God intends to bless all nations. Waltke indicates Abraham's unwavering faith, evident when God promises him a progeny, despite his old age and Sarah's barrenness, 
a promise that Abraham embraces, defying logic and human capability. This faith reaches its zenith during the near sacrifice of Isaac, showcasing Abraham's complete trust in God's promises. Additionally, the narrative intricacies of Isaac and Jacob further enrich the text's exploration of human character, divine promise, and the transformative potential of faith. Isaac's favoritism towards Esau and the ensuing family drama maintain the complex interplay of personal desires with divine will. Jacob's journey from a deceitful youth to a man wrestling with God represents a significant spiritual evolution, pointing out how divine grace prevails through human frailties to fulfil God's covenant. Also, Voltke's analysis extends beyond individual characters to examine broader themes like the inclusion of Gentiles into God's family, as symbolised in Paul's olive tree metaphor. This inclusion, Voltke suggests, reflects the continuity of God's promise across testaments, uniting Jews and Gentiles alike. Moreover, through a meticulous reading of Genesis, Waltke presents a narrative that is not merely historical, but deeply theological, inviting readers to reflect on their own faith journey within the context of divine sovereignty, covenantal promises, and the enduring hope of redemption. This interpretation showcases Genesis as a foundational text that speaks to the persistent grace of God amidst human imperfection and the overarching narrative of salvation history.